Let's pray as we stand. Almighty Father, as we come now uh, to consider your word, <clears throat> excuse me, um, pray that you would grant us to see um, the way in which you've given us Christ as the true shepherd uh, and the true king. And will you, uh, whatever needs to be corrected in our thinking, whatever uh, parts of our thinking and our perceptions of you that are, are in, uh, not accurate, that are um, distorted, that are, are confused, will you correct them? Will you uh, clarify? Will you, will you just make yourself clear? Uh, and will you do whatever it takes to conform our hearts uh, and shape our hearts so that we're able to receive your truth well? And that we, grant that we may know that joy that comes from truly knowing you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> we'll have a seat. And um, it would be helpful if you would turn back to page 8 and 9 uh, to that really long reading from Ezekiel. That's a reading from the Old Testament, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. Uh, we're taking a break. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're taking a break from Colossians uh, now for a little while uh, because today is Christ the King Sunday. Um, Christ the King Sunday is one of those kind of uh, uh, Sundays of the church calendar that doesn't get a lot of notice very often, but it's the last Sunday in the church calendar. Uh, the church gives us a, a calendar, a kind of uh, uh, schedule throughout the year uh, with the aim that we hit in church some of the main themes of the Bible. Next week starts Advent, and we'll be looking at the Old Testament readings uh, throughout Advent as well. But today, on Christ the King Sunday, um, the church calendar asks us to remember a very, very important truth, <clears throat> very, very important teaching uh, in the Bible, but that's very simple. It's simply this. Jesus is a leader that we can trust. And maybe more strongly, we should say this, Jesus is the only final leader that we can really, truly trust. <clears throat> Let me try to explain why that's important. Um, all of us, I think, know that leadership is one of those topics that you just can't get away from. Leaders are important, right? Uh, Every one of us has to, in one way or another, entrust ourselves to the leaders around us. We, uh, we have to entrust ourselves, to a large extent, to uh, political leaders. We entrust ourselves to, to some extent, cultural leaders, just um, people who perhaps don't, don't have a structural influence over our lives, but they nevertheless influence culture in a great way. <clears throat> political leaders, cultural leaders... Uh, industry leaders, obviously, and, and, and religious leaders. And, and given the importance of leadership, I, I don't know that there has ever been a time or a culture that I'm aware of that has been more clear than ours on the importance of good leadership. Um, you can see it in the books, right? Whole book sections. Go to Barnes & Noble. Uh, it, it's a big, big section on leadership books. And a lot of us, inevitably, have read some of those. In fact, just on the train this morning, I was thinking about this very thing. And I looked up, and the guy across from me was reading Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I thought to myself, well, it's very late 90s. Very late <laughs> 90s. Um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, it, it's everywhere, right? And yet, 
And yet, in spite of the fact that everybody's reading these books, um, we all know that, that, there's a, that there's a lot of bad leaders <laughs> around, aren't there? And isn't that at least part of what some of, some of our anxiety as a people is bound up? Bad religious leaders, bad political leaders, bad industry leaders, they're everywhere. And it brings up a question, what, how do we respond in the face of toxic leadership? Uh, what does it mean that we have to deal with bad leaders? And very importantly, how does God respond to bad leaders? All right. Ezekiel, the Old Testament reading uh, for this morning, is a bit of a case study in how God responds to very, very toxic leaders. And what we need to watch is we need to allow the Bible to deconstruct, kind of tear down the edifice of false leadership precisely in order so that we can see Christ as our true leader, the true leader that we can finally trust. All right, let me point out three things from the reading. First of all, there's a rebuke. False leaders get rebuked. Secondly, there's a promise of true leaders, of a true leader. And then thirdly, there's a question. A rebuke, a promise, a question. First of all, rebuke. Take a look at verse 9, and we'll kind of cut to the chase, and then I'll give you some background. Okay, uh, verse 9 says this. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, look, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and will put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Okay, uh, who are the shepherds in this context and why is God so mad? All right. In Ezekiel, friends, we have parachuted into one of the darkest moments in Israel's history. What's happened is uh, hundreds of years before this, God rescues Israel out of slavery in Egypt. God brings them out of Egypt, and then uh, God sets up their national life. And part of their national life was a leadership structure. They had three big categories of leaders in the Old Testament. You had uh, the kings, who did what you expect kings to do. You had priests who did what you expect priests to do. But then thirdly, you had prophets. And prophets were a little bit like a check on the other two. They were, they were meant to keep the other two accountable. And so they were the ones that kind of spoke out against things when things went, went weird. Now, the shepherds in Ezekiel represent really all three, all three big categories of Israelite leaders. And over the course of several hundred years, you can read, you can just see this happen as you read the Old Testament. What, happened is, what happens is that those leadership structures just begin to deteriorate over time. And they become increasingly corrupt. Until finally, in Ezekiel's time, the whole nation just collapses. What happens is Babylon comes in, invades, uh, takes a, a large portion of, of the population as exiles to Babylon, and that's where Ezekiel's at. And now, in the absolute rubble of Israel's national life, now, in Ezekiel, you've got God looking at the shepherds of Israel, the kings, the priests, and the prophets, and he's looking at them with fire in his eyes. 
He's angry. Now, why is God angry with them? There's two reasons. The shepherds, the leaders of Israel, were selfish and they were abusive. Look down at verse 2. You see verse 2 here? Look at the end of verse 2. It says this, O shepherds of Israel, who have, uh, O shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves. Selves is an important word here. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. Now, just stop there and and consider. What, What you've got here is you've got the Lord, the God of Israel, looking at the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel, and he's saying, you are the kind of leaders that that get me angry. The, The Lord looks at them and he says, leaders are meant to serve those that they lead, but you serve yourselves. Shepherds feed sheep, but you have exploited the sheep under your care. Shepherds care for the weak, but you neglect the weak. You only care about the strong because those are the ones that you can get something from. God says shepherds are supposed to protect the sheep, but you have brutalized them. You've become wolves. And God says, don't mistake, I'm angry about this. Now, um, I appreciate, we talked about this a couple weeks ago if you were here, I appreciate that whenever we talk about God being angry, Uh, It's really uncomfortable, isn't it? It really is. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, we we talked about how um, when when the Bible talks about God's anger, it's not talking about the opposite of his love. So it's not as if um, God is loving and then when he gets angry, his love diminishes as his anger grows. That happens in you and me a lot. At least it happens in me. But it doesn't happen in God. God's anger is what his love looks like when it slams into evil. In this case, God loves his sheep. He cares about them. And he sees them scattered and brutalized and and victimized. And when he sees the shepherds who have perpetrated this, and he sees them serving themselves and not the sheep, and he sees them abusing the sheep, his love in that moment is called anger. And I realize that that makes us very uncomfortable, but I do want to point this out and just kind of go with me and challenge me afterwards if, if, if you don't buy it. But God's anger at corrupt and abusive leadership is one of the reasons we can trust him. Because if he's not, if he just kind of sits back and just kind of goes, yeah, well, it's fine, then what you have is you have a God who is complicit with abusive leadership. And here we have a God who sees selfish, egotistical, corrupt, abusive power, and he doesn't look over it. He doesn't paper it over. There's no cover-up. 
There's no boys will be boys. There's no, you know, nobody's perfect. It's none of that. God says, no. And if we're outraged by corrupt, abusive leaders, then understand that our moral outrage is just infinitely dwarfed by God's, which is one of the reasons we can trust him. So, in this passage, God comes and he rebukes in very strong terms a self-centered, abusive leadership. But it doesn't stop there. He also gives a promise. And the promise is even a stronger reason to trust God. Look at verse 11. And I want you to notice the words, myself. If the words, yourself, towards the leaders were important, myself when God speaks of himself, is very important. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 reads this. I, this is God speaking, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And then look at verse 15. Skip down. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. We'll get to that. And I will feed them in justice. Now, uh, sometimes people think about God, if, if they believe in God, sometimes they imagine that God's a little bit of an absentee father, right? Sometimes people imagine that if there is a God, that he's, he's clearly not engaged with his kids, and he's, he's perhaps he's sitting on his couch looking at his phone, um, completely disconnected from the fact that his kids are just having a debacle in the next room. If that's what comes to your mind when you think about God, then the words, myself, I myself, should be very precious to you. Because what you have here is you have a God who is looking at the rubble of Israel, just the rubble of his people. And his sheep are abandoned, and they're abused, and they're neglected, and they're lost. And what does God do in that moment? Does he just kind of sit back and just chuck out a few criticisms, saying, you know, is he a pundit? No. He gets up, and he gets his hands dirty, and he walks into the rubble, he walks into the problem, and he goes, he picks up a shepherd's crook, and he starts looking for lost sheep. I myself will shepherd my people. And I can imagine somebody saying, Jim, that's a lovely sentiment. Oh, sweet. Very nice. But where do we actually see God actually doing that? Is this just empty rhetoric? Is this nice imagery? Well, look at verse 23. Verse 23 is where you begin to see how God does it. Verse 23, I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, and I have spoken. Now, you see that reference to David? David, the literal King David, had been dead for hundreds of years by this point. Everybody who read this knew that he wasn't thinking that David was going to come back to life. Everybody knew that what he's talking about is a descendant of David. 
through whom God would shepherd his people, through whom we would finally see the leader that we all need but have never found. Now, if you grew up in church, you know the right answer, right? What's the right answer, everybody? Jesus. And if you grew up in church, if you didn't grow up in church, just follow along. But if, if, you, if you grew up in church, then at some point, um, uh, you in church, you, you got a little sheet with Jesus with a, a sheep over his shoulders, and you colored it in, right? And it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and it was quaint. And it was quaint. And that's as far as you ever got in thinking about the shepherding ministry of Jesus. Friends, when people first heard Jesus say, I'm the good shepherd, it wasn't quaint. What, triggered, what was triggered in their minds is Ezekiel. And they thought, here it is, finally. Really? Are you the shepherd that's going to seek us? Are you the shepherd that's going to find us? What Jesus was saying is, he's saying, yeah, I am the selfless shepherd. I am the shepherd who feeds but does not exploit. I am the shepherd who serves the weak and targets the weak and does not neglect the weak. I am the shepherd who gathers his sheep instead of scatters them. And you see Jesus doing that all through his ministry, but you see it most when he hangs on the cross. Because when Jesus Christ is hanging upon the cross, that was the perfect act of leadership. That's what leadership means if you're a Christian. It was the perfect act of shepherding. Because what he was doing in that moment is he was looking down. Just imagine Jesus looking down from the cross, looking at the false shepherds of Israel and of Rome that had put him there. And he looks at them and it's as if Jesus says, you have abused the sheep long enough. From now on, you brutalize me. If you're going to brutalize somebody, you brutalize me. Jesus stood in for the victims of false shepherds. If you have been victimized by false leaders, then understand that Jesus is your advocate. It's why you can trust him. But there's more. And, and if you hear this next bit uh, clearly, then it might offend you. If I say it properly, it might offend me. And if it does, we just might be hearing what it is that the gospel teaches. Because Jesus not only stood in for the victims who had been abused, but he also was taking the place of the, the false shepherds. You know, I was just saying that God is angered by false shepherds. And when Jesus hung upon the cross, he was taking upon himself that anger. He was suffering the penalty of that anger towards the false shepherds, which allowed him, when he was on the cross, do you remember this? When he was on the cross, to look down at the false shepherds of Israel and of Rome, and he could say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus is a shepherd who seeks not only the abused sheep, but also the shepherds who abused them. And he says, I'm calling them all home. Now, let me pause there and say, can you begin to see why Jesus is the leader that you can trust? He rebukes false shepherds. He doesn't have any time for it. Don't imagine he does. But he also promises that Christ will be our true shepherd, both of the victim and the perpetrator. Now, and that leads to the question, and this is the question we need to land with. Here's the question. 
Which shepherd holds your allegiance? Which kind of shepherd holds your allegiance? Here's why I asked that question. It ends up that sheep act a lot like the shepherd they trust the most. What do you mean by that? Look at verse 20 of Ezekiel. Verse 20 says, Therefore thus says the Lord God to them, to this, here he's talking to the sheep that he's going to look after. Behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you have pushed with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you scattered them abroad. I'll rescue my sheep and they shall no longer be prey. Now, here, watch this closely because there's a shift in, Ezekiel, in the Ezekiel passage. God not only re, uh, rebukes the false shepherds, he also rebukes the sheep who act like them. So it ends up these are sheep who have been first victimized by false shepherds, but now they've internalized that selfishness and that abuse, and now they're perpetrating it on other sheep. And the, re the warning for you and me is this. Sheep have a tendency to resemble the shepherds. I don't know if it's like that in real shepherding. You understand? But this is in the passage. Which means that as you and I, we can sit here and point our fingers at the terrible, terrible leaders out there that drive us crazy. But if you and I do that and we fail to look at the selfishness in our own hearts and the abusive potential in our own hearts, then friends, there's a terrible risk that we will find Jesus looking at us and saying, stop it. I rebuke you. And that's what the gospel reading is all about. Because the gospel reading, Jesus uh, says that he will, as shepherd, uh, separate the sheep from the goats. The image is a little bit different, but the idea is the same. What happens is you've got the goats, and the goats are driven by self-interest, and they act just like the false shepherds of Ezekiel. They, uh, they're focused on self-interest, and they neglect the weak and the vulnerable. And they don't think, do you notice this? They don't think they're selfish. Goats always think they're sheep, right? But Jesus notices it. And their self-interest drives neglect of the weak. And that's a sign that their deepest heart allegiance is not with Christ, but with the false shepherds. And therefore, they share in the judgment of the false shepherds and even of the devil. And if that stresses you out, let's talk about it later. I invite you. Come on, let's talk. Now, the question is, what shepherd holds your allegiance? Because the same thing works the other direction. Because in the, in the gospel, the goats are selfish and they're abusive, but the sheep are the opposite. They're selfless and they serve. They're a lot like the true shepherd. And again, they don't even know it. Very often, real sheep don't think they're very good at being sheep. You know what I mean? Which is a sign that they're not earning their salvation. Don't read this as if they're earning their salvation. If they were earning their salvation, then the sheep would know very clearly all the good stuff they've done. They don't. They're oblivious to it. They're like, Jesus, did I? Did I do that? I don't think I did. I did? That's great. You see, it... It's not something they're doing to earn. It's something, it's, a, it, it's the natural expression of the fact that they 
have been served by the good shepherd. And that's how you become a sheep. You've got to see the shepherd seeking you. You've got to see the good shepherd dying for you. You've got to see the good shepherd pouring out his love and his mercy precisely where you are most ashamed. You've got to see that happen. And as you receive that and trust that, it begins to change you from the inside out. It begins to reorient you from the inside out so that you begin to uh, be freed to resemble the shepherd who has shepherded you. So the question, what shepherd holds your deepest allegiance? And in order to answer that question, you can't just sit here and just close your eyes and think about it, okay? Because goats think they're sheep, and sheep think, sheep think they're pretty bad at it, okay? What you need to do is you need to have friends around you, uh, people in your family, people that you meet with on a regular basis, other Christians who can look into your life and help you diagnose your tendencies to self-centeredness and uh, neglect of, weak, of the weak and, and your false shepherdiness. Do you have relationships that you can say, how am I doing? Which shepherd do I resemble? And if you don't have those relationships, seek them. Because you won't be able to self-diagnose. And as you find goatish parts of your soul, then rejoice. What? Yeah. Why? Because the beginning, as you begin to see goatish parts of your soul, that's a sign that the shepherd's beginning to seek you. And run to him. Run to Christ. And you'll be transformed. Christ and no one else is the final leader we need. He is our shepherd. And he is our king. Trust him. Amen.